as we go into today's scripture reading, which comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 13. We'll be continuing in our series in 2 Timothy, and we have the privilege to hear from Pastor David preach today. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. So again, that's 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Good morning, Renewal. Good morning. If you haven't met me yet, I am David Kim. I serve at Renewal Mainline as one of the pastoral staff. And it's my pleasure, my honor to worship with you and preach to you this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me open our time with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you today, and we are grateful for this opportunity to gather in your name. Lord, as we prepare to delve into your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds, and that you would let us listen with eagerness, that you would allow us to understand with clarity, and allow us to apply your truths in our lives with courage. Holy Spirit, guide us in this time, and May the word of the sermon uh, draw us closer to you, strengthening our faith and strengthening our commitment to follow Jesus. In his precious name, we pray. Amen. May 14th, 2011 was the day that my wife and I got married. That was our wedding day. I got married at a very young age. Uh, none of my friends were married. I haven't even gone to that many weddings actually at that point so I didn't know what to expect at least in that experiential component I didn't know so you could imagine how nervous I was my, my, my wife also we were all nervous and it didn't help that there were many pieces to the wedding uh, many happy things uh, on that day uh, all good huge blessings uh, that we didn't ask for my wife and I really wanted a small wedding um, but it didn't happen because we soon realized that other people who uh, cared and loved and respected my parents and our, my in-law's parent, my parents' in-law, they wanted to pay their respect by volunteering to help and do a lot of stuff. So we had a lot of stuff there that we were blessed with that we didn't ask for. Um, so on that day, uh, you, could see my, you could feel my nervousness. Uh, I tried to hide it. I held it within. Uh, but the foreshadowing of doom started to peek its head when our mothers walked up that front, that, that stairs, on that, in that beautiful Korean dress. They were both wearing that hanbok. Uh, and each side stood two candle stands. Each had seven or nine st uh, candles on it. Um, and they were supposed to each light them up. It meant something. I don't know. They wanted to do that, so they did it. Good for them. 
but uh, my mother's lighter wouldn't work. So my mother-in-law was done while there's beautiful music going on and it's just click and click and it wouldn't work. Uh, so I started to get more nervous. I was like, so is there anything I should do? And I was thinking, no, I shouldn't. Should I? Should I wait? And it, it, and that, but it turned out to be beautiful because my mother-in-law walked up and then she, they held the lighter together and then they lit it together. So I don't, I'm sure it didn't happen. I feel like I remember people like cheering, like clapping for that. So it turned out to be beautiful. But just as I was calming down, um, I had three photographers at the weddings. Uh, mind you, uh, we couldn't afford that. They were all volunteers. And they were um, amateurs, not meaning they were bad. I mean, them uh, doing photography as a hobby, but seriously, but not making money with it, right? That's what amateur actually means, right? I myself consider myself as an amateur photographer. But what's scary about amateur photographers is that all that's driving them is their passion. Passionate photography, three people, two from my parents' side, one from my mother-in-law's side. Uh, so it felt, I, I, I couldn't make of it. I, just flashing in front of my eyes, um, coming back and forth. I, I really felt like a celebrity. And, and I didn't know what to feel of it. I, I felt kind of, I, it was less sanctified version of me back then. So I, I, that attention-seeking side of me enjoyed it, but at the same time, it was too much. So it was enjoyable, hectic, all that. Um, there was one guy from my, I won't name who, from that list. There was one guy that had this humongous camera, like a monstrous camera, and a flashlight that I've never seen. It was like this, and it was flashing like this. And, and, and I, heard, I heard a rumor that it was like a $10,000 camera. It was, I don't know if it's a rumor or real, but it, it looked really ridiculously amazing. And um, he was passionate. So he was getting really close to my face and really far. He was moving a bit too much. And he wasn't a small man. He was a very tall, big guy. And he was passionate. So photographers, what would they do is they would look, they would focus here. So they were walking back and forth. And all I was thinking was, oh, well, first of all, thankful because he was literally sweating. Because if you know photography, the angle makes all the difference. I understand what he was doing. The distance from the length, the focal length, as well as the angle here and up here, all different. So he was squatting. He was doing his workout. So he was sweating. So I was kind of getting sweaty with him. And I was getting nervous and happy and all at the same time. Until um, time slowed down. Because in a slow motion... <laughs> He backed into the candle, the candle that was lit, right? And then the mind, human mind is amazing because I think it physically slowed down the time. Because I think the adrenaline rush was so high that everything actually slowed down. And I was thinking very long time right for there. I was thinking, is there going to be a fire? Where's the fire extinguisher? What do I do? Why would he do that? And then I felt guilty that I felt that way because he was doing all that for us and all that, all that going through. And then it's in slow-mo, he, he touched that thing and then the candle thing swung 360 and it turned off all the lights and it stood back up. It didn't fall, it just stood. So I think there, once again, it might be my imagination or actual memory where everybody was like, <gasps> and, then, and then it turned off. So everything is still slow-mo for me and then I'm getting all nervous, frustrated, happy that there's no fire, and all 
just crazy things happening. And then I realized that he was nervous more than me. He was stressed out more than anybody. Uh, and then what he started to do was there was a lighter next to it. So he started to, he was shaking visibly. He was like shaking like this. And then he picked up the lighter and he, one by one, he tried to turn on, but it was the lighter that was broken. So he just kept clicking it, click, click. And all we heard, it felt like eternity, just click, click. And he's just visibly more shaking. And then all of a sudden, the genre changed for me where it became a try not, try not to laugh challenge, where it became so funny to me. So I was like, oh, no, this is. And then I tried really hard not to look at him or my wife because I knew that if I make eye contact with anybody, that it would be painful. It was one of the hardest days of my life in the most delightful sense. So when lots of things happen at once, we could forget what we're doing there. Because that moment, I was literally asking myself, what am I doing here? Maybe this is all a dream. Maybe I actually fainted and this is all a nightmare. What am I doing here? Who am I? What are we doing? All that question came. Obviously, obviously this is a more delightful illustration of those frustrations or stress, but unfortunately, our lives are filled with those that aren't as delightful, right? Many things happen in our lives, uh, both externally like that and internally, where we're distracted from remembering the main thing because it's so painful, it's so hard, it's such a suffering, especially if there's a multitude of them hitting at you all at once. The main purpose can be forgotten at the moment. You could be a parent of an infant where you did everything you need to, she's still crying, her lungs out, so you don't know what to do. Or you could be in a relationship where too many things are happening between you guys where you don't know why you started this in the first place. Or any experience that you could imagine or remember that involves pain and misery. We will face experiences that bring our focus in that pain, to that pain, where we forget the main thing. Timothy was no exception. In this passage, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he was facing many things all at once. Circumstantial challenges, oppositions, just direct oppositions. Many things were going wrong. This is where Paul came in. And Paul said in verse 7, previous, previous to our passage here, verse 7 he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding everything. He's telling Timothy, here, look, look at me, look at me. Let me tell you why you're here, the main thing. I know lots of, a lot of things are going on. Let's talk about the main thing. And then he says in verse 8, today's passage, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul says this is the main point of my whole message to you and to the church, Jesus Christ. Christ. So let's dive in to today's passage. See three things about Jesus Christ that Paul is asking Timothy and for us to remember. First, we must remember his worth. Second, we must remember his word. Third, we must remember his works. So his worth, the centrality of the gospel. Second, his word, the living and active word of God. And third, his works, how this is being done in our lives. 
What power does it have in our lives? So let's, look, let's take a look at that. Let's turn to the Bible and see verse 8. The first thing about Jesus, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Why this first? Before anything else, Paul says, remember the resurrection and Jesus' Davidic heritage. Because that is what Christ Jesus means. That's what that represents. Christ, Christ is the Messiah, Savior, the risen Lord of our, Savior of our sins. Jesus was a name given to him by the angel, fulfilling the prophecy given to all of us for the king coming from the line of David. So in other words, this is who Jesus is and what he's done. The person, who Jesus is, and the works, what he's done. We call that the person and works, the gospel message, right? One may summarize that to the main idea of the gospel. If someone asks, what is the gospel? That could be a sufficient answer, what Christ did and who he is. And Paul adds, uh, as preached in my gospel. I'm not introducing new ideas. I'm actually coming, coming back to the main, actually my thesis of my gospel, my message. Good news to you. Jesus Christ, risen, the heritage of David, what he's done, who he is. I do encourage all of us to go back to our sermon series on the gospel centrality. We spend weeks on how the gospel is the center of our worship, the center of our church, our evangelism, our daily lives as believers, how gospel becomes a central piece that holds everything together. And I'm pretty sure that I won't get too many feedbacks right now after sermon, coming back and say, actually, I disagree with you, David. I don't think gospel is the main message of Christianity. I don't think anybody would argue that that way. But when I look into my life with a little more brutal honesty ever too often, I do find myself forgetting that. Forgetting, especially when hardships come. When I'm going through the times of suffering, who Jesus is, what he's done, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm suffering. Instead of who he is, what he's done, too many, we talked about it, plan B's pop up. Too many plan B's pop up to my head, in front of me, offered to me, within and externally. That's what happens. But Paul knows this. Paul knows this. If anything, Paul knows well of what suffering feels like, what it does to you, because he's literally in the midst of suffering right now, at this moment, as he's writing. That's why he brings a second point. He says, remember God's word because we're suffering. That's the second point. He says in verse 9, for which, for this main central gospel message, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. The very gospel message that asked Timothy to hold on to, that is the very message that gotten Paul into trouble. I am suffering. He says, I am suffering because I hold on to the message of the gospel. I am changed. I am shackled. And I am literally dying right now. Gospel will get us into trouble. It'll get us into trouble. Let me just give a sad rundown of 
Open Doors World Watch List 2021, the, the stats that, that they come up with for, from this year. Over 340 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. That was only reported number for this stats. It got people into trouble 2,000 years from this writing, in a sense. So if we're thinking about this reality, one can say that us Americans don't experience that too much, do we? Some can even go further to accuse ourselves that we don't face persecutions because maybe we don't share the gospel. If we had that, we would be persecuted. While that may speak in a certain level of truth, if we look deeply into the nature of life experience in this world, in this body, living in this body, in this world, you know that we're not free from the effect of sin at all. The persecution as believers carrying on of the message of who Jesus is and what he's done, Jesus himself said that if you choose us, if you choose me, then the world will hate you. He said the world. What does the world mean when he says? He's referring to the world of humanity. The humanity where the original kingship of God was thwarted from Genesis 3. This is the world that committed treason. And now, because we still live in this sense, under that promotion that we, humanity, we shall be the king. That you should be your king. That I should be your king, actually. So if you communicate to the world that you serve Jesus as your king, if that shows, not just to the world, but to yourself too, there's going to be a conflict because that's a different king that the world promotes. The world will consider that as treason. So you will be hated one way or another. Yes, America has developed historically a tradition, a culture, a setting that allows us to do this much more freely, at least in an official sense. But would you ever say your life is persecution-free? Beyond that, suffering-free. Are you free from the effect of sin? You know well of what pain feels like. Well, social ostracization is here, obviously. Hostility is here. Ridiculing is here. You will be discriminated one or the other way. You will be hated. And if not relationally, then other means will lead you to suffer. In other words, if you're living in the same world that I'm living in right now, then in this third dimension plane of reality where it has been corrupted by sin, you will experience pain. You will experience misery one way or another and much more explicitly and obviously in response to the message of the gospel. If I ever start to think that there is a solution to this suffering by looking at anything else to save me, you know that I will fail. You know that you have failed. You know that the history has failed. Money cannot save you, prevent you from suffering. Love of people won't. Fame won't prevent that. 
Paul says that this is the reality for him. He's living it right here. And it's reality for you and me. He says, look, I am suffering. Look at my chains. I am chained. I am considered a criminal. And Paul knows what Timothy is going through right now. He knows that Timothy is going through pain. But listen to what Paul says, how he views his suffering. Verse 9 and 10. Let me read that for us. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's putting two things for Timothy to look at. He's saying, first, look, look at the chain. Look at the suffering. He says, yes, I am shackled, but the word of God is not bound. I am bound. He's not. What is he saying? He's saying that he's not the one doing the job of this ministry. Him being chained doesn't chain anything because God's word is not bound. It is not by the person and works of Paul that this is carried on. It's by the person and works of Christ himself that carries on this mission. God's word itself is the one that works here. It's a beautiful switch here from first telling us to remember Jesus Christ and now Paul saying the word of God almost as a, a synonymous idea as Jesus that where we can see the biblical reality in John 1 here, right? Where Jesus is the word of God. The word of God. This powerful, limitless word of God was in the beginning in creation and it was now sent to the world and that was Jesus himself. Now this is very word that works as the core of the gospel message that will not be bound by anything. This limitlessness of God's word motivates Paul to boldly proclaim verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here, when it says obtain, a commentator explains that word obtain here to have the same sense of receiving something that is out of one's reach and is thus as a gift. And as such, can describe the receipt of salvation from a future perspective. That's also reflected in Luke 20 or Hebrews 11. Paul knows here that him being chained here will not stop God's word spreading and working through people's hearts. Especially why? Because it's not just for this. It actually points toward something. It points toward Jesus Christ himself and it points toward the eternal glory. Not prison here but an eternal glory that it allows us to see. I want you to notice something here. There's a shift that happens in his verses, his saying here, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9, he said he was suffering. I'm suffering. But in verse 10, something changed. So he actually refers to that as enduring. Suffering changed to endurance. What made that change? It's actually the presence of the Word of God. God's word shifts our suffering to endurance. The boundless word of God that changes what we look at, how we look at things, why. Because what is suffering? Let's actually talk about what suffering is. What is suffering? Well, I looked it up in dictionary. 
uh, the definition is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. In other words, the focus here, what's the focus when you are suffering? The focus here is in the pain and in misery, the experience. You're looking at the pain. You're looking at sin, the experience of sin. But endurance, on the other hand, is fighting hardship, fighting that without giving it away. In other words, endurance has a focus that's not fixated on that pain itself. Endurance has a goal in mind. Endurance here is eternal glory as our focus. Fighting hardship with His power, with the eternal glory promised to us and spoken to us. That's what, God, that's what God's Word will do to you. That's what God's Word will tell you. That's what He will say and promise you and empower you to see. It'll shift our, our focus here. One of the most powerful things that the Scripture does to, from the shift of the focus of looking at our own selves, trying to serve our own as masters, but now to look to God. Specific passages like 2 Corinthians 4 Verse 17 and 18, Paul encourages that shift in in focus. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Before God's Word was in effect in us, our natural focus of our own life was what? To live for our own selves, to serve me, to serve humanity. But as limited as we are, it is a mission bound to fail. You know the vanity that is just documented as countless historical documents and reality of our experiences that this doesn't work. But God comes to us and cures that blindness where we sing, I was once blind, but now I see. That it was God all along to be worshipped. It was Him to be enjoyed forever. That was our goal in life. Not I, but Christ that I live for. That shift happens when you see God's Word, when you experience God's Word, when you are lived, when you're empowered by it, suffering to endurance. An illustration would be my uh, encounter with this experience called planking. I first encountered this experience in high school, and I started doing it because I was told that that was good for you, for your health reasons. I started doing it, and I realized something weird because it felt too much like my memory. And I was thinking, what is this memory? And I realized that it feels like I'm getting punished. I grew up in uh, Korea. And right now I heard uh, physical punishments are gone uh, at school. But back then, I was punished, or we were punished. Uh, and if you get punished by that kind of scene, the uh, planking as punishment, then you're lucky because there are worse scenes of punishment that I don't want to think about. I don't, I don't want to remember. So when I was doing planking, I was thinking, oh, this feels like I'm punishing myself. And it actually, it, it was actually, it, a light bulb came on because... It was a yes and no. It's literally the same thing that I did. But the purpose, purpose was different. Planking for me 
was for me to endure through so that my core muscles get strengthened, so that I live a healthier life, stronger body, and all that. My teachers back in Korea didn't have that in mind. It was pain itself, and it worked. We were thinking about the pain, and we were stuck in that eternity. When will this end? That was suffering. But planking was endurance. That focus is the difference, isn't it? Focus in pain is suffering, but focus in the eternal glory is endurance. So this endurance right here, this endurance is in Christ Jesus with his eternal glory, meaning he's more furious against the injustice and evil that is happening in this experience that we're going through right now. The pain itself, he doesn't want that. He doesn't like that. He hates it more than us. So even if we're dealing with it, even if it's actually being intentionally given to us in a malicious intention, Jesus knows what that is. And he's actually dealing with it. He's dealt it on the cross, and now he is protecting us, guiding us. He's working through us, through his people, by equipping them with his words. So we need to pay closer attention to what he tells us through Scripture. So if somebody actually wrongs you, you might say, but what if someone actually is hurting me? Uh, is the passage telling me to just suck it up and endure, just receive the pain? That's not what the Scripture tells us in every passage. Sometimes there is a pain that is necessary for you to endure like that. Another endurance may be like Matthew 18, where someone actually inflicts you sin, you go up to him or her and, and confront it in the name of Christ, you provide them with an opportunity of repentance one-on-one -on -one. if that doesn't help you actually if that person doesn't repent you bring another brother or sister and you actually do that not gossip confrontation why because we are fixated on the eternal glory that jesus has promised and he's living inside us right now ruling in our community ruling in our hearts in our minds so that he equips us he enables us to approach somebody with the same repentance and if the person doesn't repent, then the person is put on trial. I'm reading off Matthew 18 here, right? And if the person still doesn't repent, what do we do? We consider that person as Gentile. We don't shun them. We don't hate them. We don't hurt them. We actually treat them as Gentile, meaning they need Jesus. You realize that that person actually needs love. That actually applies in our lives all the time, especially when we're going through trial and hardship. If there's pain involved, if somebody is inflicting you pain, the Word of God must enlighten you what's going on. It would be silly, yet too often of the experience, when parents, I'm talking to myself because I remember myself too many times, when my kids are just nagging or just suffering through their own, I make it all about myself and say, why are you giving me hard time? Why are you giving me pain? When the when my son is actually struggling on his own. To him, that's actually all he can do and all he will do, and he needs me to step in. He needs me to be strong and hold on to him, protect him. That's what the Word of God does to me. It's not about you, David. I gave your shepherding opportunity and the responsibility as a parent. Do that, endure that, so that that kid experiences my own love. That's Word of God. 
with trust, with that trust that Christ Jesus is the king of the world, ruling and with promised eternal victory, that we can actually do this. But then again, is your response asking, so here it is. Is this what, what we need to do? Should we be conjuring up our ability, our strength, our uh, power to do this? To trust in God, to read the Bible more, to change ourselves by reading the Bible? Paul knows that that is a temptation of a line of thought because he knows that's a natural response of our, our works-based righteousness, right? He says here in the third point, verse 11 to 13, that's his third point. Remember God's work. Remember God's work. After telling Timothy about the work, worth and word of God, Paul gives Timothy a powerful poem, verse 11 to 13. He says, verse 11, the saying is trustworthy. So it's not just a reminder when he said, remember Jesus Christ. Now he says, trust this. Trust this. If we have, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The first thing he mentioned about this Christ that we should remember is that resurrection, right? Here he provides a strong promise that such resurrection is in our lives also. That the union that we have in Christ, we are resurrected with him. And we will resurrect eternally in the future. Verse 12, he says then, if we endure, we will also reign with him. The believer here that has risen to a new life must face this call to endurance, and all Christians are to endure the same way that Paul has done here. Paul is always, he has in mind, the eternal perspective in life. Romans 8, 17, we, we read it, remember here. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That glory is in mind, the resurrection in mind, and that reign, the ruling, participation of Christ's kingdom is in mind. Not just suffering so that you're done with it. It's actually a process that trains us. He goes on now with a chilling warning. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. This is Jesus' very own promise. Matthew 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's a chilling reality that Paul brings to us, a real level of danger. It, that's not to be taken lightly. That's a, literally a life and death issue, Paul is saying. This is not a suggestion here. This is a life and death issue. And then in verse 30, uh, 13, he says, if we are faithless, then when you hear that in the split, split second, would you react just like I, I would have reacted? If you're faithless, then Jesus is also going to be faithless to you. But, he, but Paul says the opposite. Read it with me here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? This reminds us that it is God's own works that we are saved, that we are sanctified. It's Jesus' own works. It's by his good nature, not because, not based on our own faithfulness, despite of it, but because of the faithfulness of Christ. 
Have you ever met somebody that you could trust because they really keep their word? Imagine a person that does that without failure. Imagine a person that does that with no sin. That's Jesus Christ. He is faithful. It's different than us just even swearing, taking an oath. His word is stronger. The boundless word of God keeps the faithfulness, keeps the promise. So when we're suffering, when we are suffering, we had us in mind. We didn't have Christ in mind, right? We didn't have Jesus in our minds. But Christ had us in his mind when he died on the cross. Remember John 10, he says he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. He's explicitly stating that no one else, no one takes his life from him, but he lays it down of his own accord. Luke 23, as Jesus was being crucified, he prays, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He's saying that it was God, his work that brought us this change to our lives. This gives us a powerful confidence to ask for his help. So if you are like me, who were desperate to work faith, work trust, to read God's word, to do good, would you repent with me? Because it's not based on our faithfulness. It's not based on our faithlessness. It's on Jesus' faithfulness. Would you turn to him? And would you put your trust in him? I'd like to conclude by telling you a little bit more about what happened after that wedding. Not after. After that moment that I just cut off. I paused it right there, right? And that crisis. I paused in the middle of crisis. I was holding my laughter. I was holding my nervousness. I was holding my frustration. And while things slowing down more, my brain playing this. You know, it, actually, the noise case canceling feature is physical. When your adrenaline kicks in, Everything just quiets down, and then you're just thinking about one thing. And I'm thinking, where am I? What am I doing here? On one hand, I was afraid to look at my wife because I was afraid to look at my wife uh, to, uh, to laugh. But I decided I need to know where I am. So I looked at my wife. I turned to my wife. I saw her holding laughter. She was biting her lips ever so tightly. Uh, I felt like we were all going to bleed. And then we squeezed each other's hands ever so tightly. And an amazing thing happened. I remembered. I remembered why I was there. As I felt that tight grip on my hand, all of my nervousness, my frustration disappeared. And I remember that I am here to get married to this person. The still shaking hands of the photographer trying to light the candle wasn't that funny anymore. It was adorable. Because now I'm, I was thankful. This guy's trying. He's sweating. Oh, poor guy. But now this is going to be a good memory. It's going to be fun. We're all here for my marriage. What a wonderful thing. My marriage, our marriage, what a new, amazing life that I will have with my wife together. But here is, is an amazing, I think, a powerful proclamation I am here to make. A bold pro proclamation I'm here to make. That there's an eternally greater marriage ahead of us a greater wedding between Christ the Lamb and the church as his bride. And in every turmoil, every hardship you and I experience, he looks to us. He holds our hand tightly and tells us, look at me, remember me, trust me.
I got this. Look at me. So every time you find yourself in a mess of pain and suffering, remember Jesus Christ. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember what he's doing right now. And hear his voice. Open up his word. Read it out loud. Reach out to other brothers and sisters and hear that voice physically. Speak that to one another. Remind each other. And feel that warmth, the warmth of Christ through their embrace and provision. And would you provide that to your children, to your neighbors, to the unbelievers, to share the gospel, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Because when we, when even when we are bound, he's not bound. When we are faithless, he is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and mercy shown in the person and works of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. We thank you for calling us to remember you, to trust you in times of trouble. So, Lord, as we heard your word, as we continue to hear your word in our lives, may we not merely be hearers of your word, but doers also. Would you help us apply these truths to our daily lives and to live more like Christ with his faithfulness in our thoughts, words, and actions. We ask for your guidance and strength this week and for our, the rest of our lives, for the eternity, so that we may enjoy your eternal glory, so that we may endure right now to remain faithful just as you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.